Welcome everyone to the Take Control of Your Health podcast. This is Dr. Mercola bringing you the latest cutting edge interviews to help you achieve optimal health. You can receive more information by subscribing to my free daily newsletter at Mercola.com. Because you won't find us on Google or Facebook, we respect your privacy and will continue to fight the Silicon Valley censorship. Thank you so much for listening. So let's get started with this week's latest program to help you and your family take control of your health. Welcome, everyone. This is Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health. And today we are joined by Dr. Dawson Church, who is a leader in the, the uh, energy uh, psychology movement, uh, most common one being emotional freedom technique or EFT, which I have long promoted and essentially started by Gary Craig in the 90s. It was a derivative work of Roger Callahan and maybe 10 years prior to that. And Gary did a great work, but he retired and, and he, you know, he took it so far. And then Dawson's come along and picked up the clinical aspect. Gary was never really a, a clinical investigator with respect to publishing studies. And Dawson has published over a hundred clinical trials. So he's really an active researcher. He's engaged in documenting the effectiveness of this. And he's actually worked uh, with providing over treatments for over 21,000 patients with PTSD which I'm sure he'll talk about. So today he's going to meet with us and give us insights uh, from his practice and some of the two books he wrote, uh, the last of which is Mind for Matter, which I interviewed him for about a year ago. And uh, tell us how we can use this information in these times of stress, because there's no question uh, that this has been probably one of the most overall, probably the highest social stressor I can think of. Now, individually, of course, you're going to have many would have higher levels, but collectively as a, as a culture, it's hard to imagine any more of a stressor in the last several generations. Maybe World War II was the one that preceded that and depression prior to that, but this is a huge one. So, and, and it's, it, it, from my perspective, sorry for the long intro, but it's what, I'm going to let you take it over, but this is one of the most serious consequences, not necessarily of the infection, but the, but the result of the government response to the infection, which has devastated so many people's lives. So it's the stress that's, in my view, and I'll certainly get your view and put on too, likely going to harm and injure far more people than COVID-19. So with all that intro, welcome and thank you for joining us. <laughs> you know, it's, it's so true, Joe. And there are really issues that we have to deal with. But the stress, as we feel in our minds and our bodies, can often do far more harm than anything else. I've done several randomized controlled trials of cortisol. And when you just think a negative thought, when you have a fear, when you have a negative belief, your cortisol level starts to rise. And cortisol, chronic cortisol over time, produces all kinds of ill effects in the body. So you're absolutely right in that it's the fear that'll get you, even if the virus doesn't. Yeah, so, so what have you been doing in this? Why don't you give us a little history of how, how you personally have been addressing this pandemic, what, you know, what strategies you've been using, and, and uh, how have uh, you been implementing with the people you're connecting with? Yeah, and there's a lot we can do personally. And so um, what I've focused on doing myself is filling my mind with positive thoughts. And so there's a lot of negative stuff going on in the world right now. And it can be hard to fill your mind with, with, with positive thoughts because the way our brains are wired is they're intensely evolutionarily adapted to pay attention to bad stuff. Mm -hmm. If you, 100,000 years ago, your ancestors, if they didn't notice the rustle of the tiger in the grass, they got eaten. Now, if they fail to notice how beautiful the sunset was, or they fail to notice how the roses smelled, nothing bad happened. So we get no evolutionary reward in our brains for failing to notice the good stuff. And we get this evolutionarily incredibly imperative focus in our, the way our brains are structured to notice the bad stuff. So when I say think positively, notice, notice the good things going on around you, be grateful, it's hard for people to do. There's this constant barrage of bad news. And so it takes meditation, it takes tapping, it takes 
time and nature, you really have to be deliberate in your efforts to redirect your attention and not have it hijacked by all the bad stuff out there. And what I do is I, I read positive blogs. It doesn't mean I never read any bad stuff. I mean, I, I stay informed, but I make sure I, I read positive things. I'm reading Marcus Aurelius right now. I'm reading the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. I'm, I'm meditating for an hour every day, and I'm anchoring myself in what I call in, in mind to matter, non-local mind. And you tune into non-local mind, you look out the window and see the roses and the, the bees and the sunset, and then it's a lot easier to stay centered in local mind. So I'm really focusing on doing that, and I'm also focusing on compassion, Joe. I wrote a blog called The Pandemic, of compassion. And this was in February when everyone was looking at all the bad stuff going on. So I made it my business to go and find every story about positivity. I found that in Iran, where all the mosques were closed because of the pandemic, that women were getting together. And Iran is a, is a you know, a lot of challenges in Iran. And so they were getting together and they were sewing mosques. There were no mosques in Iran. So they were so hand sewing mosques, giving them to their neighbors. In Canada. Oh, I thought you were saying mosque, M-O-S-Q-U-E, but you're saying mask. <laughs> They're getting together inside the closed Mosques, M O S T B, <laughs> and sewing mosques. <laughs> M A S K S. I mean, just spontaneously like that. In Canada, there were these people looking for anyone old in their community, anybody who was elderly, who was impaired, couldn't get out, and they were making sure those people had food and basic supplies. And in Canada, they, they coined a term for this, Joe, called, and, and the, the, the term is just a beautiful one care mongering, C-A-R-E mongering, not fear mongering, care mongering. So I wrote this, this blog, The Pandemic of Compassion, that's gone out to just hundreds of thousands of people mm -hmm. now that have been sharing it, and just saying, look, there's so much here, there's so many ways in which this is unlocking compassion in our lives. Don't deny the bad stuff, but also make your business to discover all the good things happening in the world. Thanks. It uh, sounds like a good strategy, and we'll dive into some of the details. One of them is, and you uh, described quite in detail in your last book, Mind Over Matter, or Mind to, Mind to, Mind matter. to, to matter, Mind to Matter, uh, was the eco-meditation. So this meditation that you're doing an hour every day, is it the eco-meditation? It is. And back in 2008, I, I, I was at a conference with Roland McCready from HeartMath, and Joe Dispenza was at the conference. We had people there from Neurofeedback, and we were all sitting together one evening, and I thought, you know, we know mindfulness is great. We know EFT tapping is great. We know that neurofeedback is effective. We know that heart rate variability control is, is, has a lot of health benefits. And I had this amazing thought, Joe. I thought, I, I felt like a, a little boy in an ice cream store where there are all these flavors. You know, do I choose the pecan walnut, or do I mm -hmm. go for the chocolate chip cookie dough, or do I, do I, do I want the... <laughs> so I thought, imagine if I had a scoop of all of them. So I thought, let's try tapping, then doing quick, quick coherence technique, then wait, doing, wait, wait, doing what was the second one? What was the, oh, the quick, the quick coherence technique? Part. Coherence. Okay, you'll have to review yeah. that. Yeah, and then also doing Les Famey's method of uh, putting putting you in alpha with a breathing technique. What if we string these all together and do them all at once? And I call this eco meditation. And well, end, I would assume it's sequentially, not concurrently. Sequentially. Yeah, yeah, just them one at a time, one after the other. And it turns out if you do them all together, they reinforce each other. The whole is more than some of its parts. And we've now begun to test this empirically. And we're finding that it's doing things like dramatically lowering cortisol, baseline cortisol, in just a weekend. Do it for a week, and it can lower baseline cortisol by more than a third. So uh, when things like, when these, when these neurochemicals of stress like cortisol and adrenaline go down, then all the neurochemistry of repair and reju rejuvenation, like DHEA, starts to go up. And so it's a teeter-totter. You bring down your stress level psychologically, bring down your stress neurochemicals, and all of these things like you have more serotonin in your brain, more dopamine in your brain, more norepinephrine in your brain, all these things start to happen. And so the, 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 the culmination of this was looking at immunoglobulins, which are the antibodies that, that bind to coronaviruses and neutralize those glycoprotein spikes. And essentially, um, 
these antibodies are Y-shaped, they're shaped like a Y, Y-shaped molecule, and those Ys stick to those glycoprotein spikes on, on coronaviruses and neutralize them, and the coronavirus can't bind to the cell wall once that antibody, that immunoglobulin is bound to the glycoprotein spike. And so we found that people doing this for just a weekend, just two days, had a 27% rise in these antibodies in their bloodstreams. I mean, just a huge shift in the immunity by lowering stress. So that's kind of the, 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 what I've been now advocating. Meditate, tap, do these things to lower your stress level. Automatically, then your immune system is going to upregulate. Well, that is just terrific. And I definitely want to dive deep into that because it sounds like a fantastic adjunct to what the physiological recommendations that we're making now. And after being, uh, doing deep dives into the literature and uh, listening to many people, experts discuss this, I, I've concluded that there's two primary strategies metabolically uh, that are really crucial. One is optimizing your vitamin D level. We're in the middle of a campaign now to spread that message to the entire country uh, collaboratively. And uh, secondly is to be metabolically flexible. And interestingly, both of those conditions are not present in 90% of the population. In other words, 90% of people are vitamin D deficient and insulin resistant. So if you can improve those and the antibody response that you reference is gonna work much, much better when you reduce the stress. Because if you, have, you can have the best stress redu reduction exercise possible if you're vitamin D deficient and you, you're, me you're metabolically or inflexible and insulin resistant, you're just not going to, you're going to, you're going to have this massive inflammatory response. that's going to be really difficult to reverse if even with the best stress, that's my condition, but together it's like that multi flavor ice cream combination you're talking earlier, even better. So before we go into the details, so I have one basic question based on your observations as to what you perceive as the prevalence of the fear and as a result of the primarily the propaganda being fed to us in the media, which is just so difficult to avoid, what, what do you think? How common is that? How pervasive? And what do you think the biggest fears are from your perspective? Well, I want to just underline what you said first is that it's a both and. You have to do those things that are going to make you metabolically flexible. You have to do those things like supplementation. And you have to pay attention to your emotions. It's not as though you do one or the other. Right, right, right. So, yeah. And, and so I've done several big Zoom calls with my community, but often with over a thousand people on them. And uh, I've asked people to type in their fears into the chat box. Mm -hmm. And so I've been really, um, I gotta say, I've been a little dismayed because my yeah. community people yeah. who subscribe, I mean, they're meditators, they're tappers, and they're still they're all of these things skilled people with these tools and they're still having problems. So that's why I'm really, really curious to get the data that you're collecting. Yeah, and so um, they, they're being overwhelmed. And you know, in, in medicine, there's this concept of allostatic load. So if you're in a room, say for example, if you're a school teacher in a room with 30 kids and, and five of them have the flu, then those, that's gonna produce a certain amount of viruses in the air or bacteria, but then if you have that same schoolroom at 25 of the flu, it's an allostatic load overload, and you're much more likely to get the flu. Same thing emotionally. Uh, you might be, be robust emotionally. You may be resilient emotionally. But when you're just having this drumbeat of negative news all the time, it can rise to the point where it overwhelms your coping resources. And I think that's what's been happening. In Mind to Matter, in Chapter 2, I talk about this phenomenon called emotional contagion. And these brilliant researchers took the model of infectious disease and applied it to emotions. And they found that our emotions are contagious. They affect people all around us. And in one famous study, they found that happy people, just being a happy person means your neighbor, your next door neighbor geographically is 35% more likely to be happy. Mm -hmm. And his neighbor, who you don't even know, is 15% more likely to be happy. And that person's neighbor, who's three degrees removed from you, is 6% more likely to be happy. So you're actually producing emotional contagion all around you, as well as negative emotional contagion. The same thing happens if people are upset, afraid. And on social media, like Facebook, there was a famous experiment in Facebook where the researchers tweet for one week, they tweet the 
feeds of a few Facebook users to be the more negative or more positive, just adding a few more negative stories or a few more positive stories, within two weeks, Joe, those few people produced emotional contagion in 681,000 other Facebook users in two weeks. So we're in the middle of this mass contagion of fear, and it is depressing our immune systems, making us less resilient, affecting us psycho-spiritually, making us less able to cope. And so that's when we need a bigger dose of all of that of the, that positivity, that joy, that gratitude. We need to do that deliberately. And that means meditation, means positive media. It means not exposing yourself to negative things. You know, if you're going to sit home and binge well, watch something, don't pick something full of blood and gore and negativity. Pick, you know, Jane Austen. <laughs> well, that's going to be somewhat challenging because, you know, when your uh, source of livelihood is essentially destroyed, as it has been for... 30 to 50 million people in the, in the United States alone. Uh, you know, even if you don't look at any media, it's still, still a concern. But, but we, we still have to counter the impact of being exposed to these negative emotions from the mainstream media, which is filled with fear and propaganda designed to literally control us. And the Facebook behavior or experiment you cited is a several years, years ago. And that's only one of the few that they admitted to. But I can assure you with the highest degree of confidence, and so Shana Zuboff, who's a Harvard psychologist, I'm sure you're familiar with this, documented this in her book, Surveillance Capitalism, is that they are, this is a whole ongoing from these, these surveillance capitalists, uh, including Facebook and Google. They are manipulating our behavior to their agenda. So in that, it, it, that is producing me, many of these emotions, the emotional onslaught that we're having. So that, I'm still curious. I mean, you were surprised at the amount of... Uh, or lack of resiliency or anti-fragility in, in your population that was skilled with these resources. But what are specific concerns that people are sharing with you? Because I'm sure it will resonate with many of the people watching this. People were typing in concerns like dying alone and no one noticing. I'm here in my apartment in Montreal, Canada. And if I die, no one will discover my body for two weeks. They were saying, I live with my mother. I'm in, 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 uh, in Hartford, Connecticut. And um, my mother's elderly. I'm afraid she'll die. Uh, and and, and, and I'll, I'll have to take care of her and I'll witness her death. Uh, or I'll die and then my mom will be unable to take care of herself. I'm, a, I'm a, a parent with kids at home now because they can't go to school. And my husband's been laid off, so he's here as well. And what happens if we all get sick? We're all going to infect each other. So all of these kinds of worries, worries about government interference, worries about a mandatory vaccine. A lot of our, uh, of our uh, community in, in, in Europe is really afraid that when there is a vaccine, that it'll be mandatory to take it. So they're afraid of, of, of a mandatory vaccine. So there, you want to be afraid the media will give you something to be afraid oh, of. They are. Yeah, you are. <laughs> On steroids, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, what, what I do, what I do yeah. every morning in Mind Matter, I talk about this in chapter one and chapter seven. I say, you know, the mystics have this experience of unity with the universe. They, 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 they have these ways of when they, when they contemplate, when they meditate, they lose themselves in terms of being a separate person. And in fact, if you look at MRIs of like Tibetan monks, you find that the part of the brain that constructs the sense of self, which is right over here, it's the mid prefrontal cortex, literally builds your sense of, you know, I am Joe Mercola, I am Dawson Church, I am Mike, all, all, all the people that we think we are. We build that sense of self with the mid prefrontal cortex. And what happens in these mystics is that if you look at their MRI scans, that part of the brain turns off when they're in deep meditation, they lose themselves. Another part of the brain that turns off is, is, the, is the part of the parietal lobe, the temporal parietal junction that helps govern our sense of proprioception, location in space and our body in space. And so that part of the brain also goes dark. So now they're in this deep mystical experience, their sense of self is turned off, their ability to locate their bodies in space is turned off, now, having floods of oxytocin go through their bodies, I talk about this in another chapter of Mind Matter, the bonding hormone, the feeling this ecstatic bliss as anandamide and serotonin and dopamine flood their brains. 
and they've lost their sense of who they are and where they are, and they're literally feeling one with the universe. Now, if you do that in meditation every morning, which we do in eco meditation, we encourage you to, be, to become one with the universe, then you're one with what I call non-local mind, and you have that experience of mystical unity, then after meditation, you then come back into your body, come back to your local mind, your mid-prefrontal cortex turns back on, you're a local self again, your parietal lobe comes back on steam, you know where you're ha you are in time and space, and then you bring all the resilience of that contact with non-local mind into local reality, and you're then far more effective. In one study by, by the McKinsey Consulting Group, they did a 10-year study of high-performing people. They found that those who are able to do this flip into flow and then flip back into their daily lives, they are five times as productive as ordinary people. A DARPA study I describe in the book showed that they have 490% greater ability to solve complex problems. So now you have your family, you have, your, you have the virus, you have your economic crash, and you have all of the resources, all being in that flow state, to bring to those, you're five times as good at solving problems and also being productive as otherwise. So that's why this is a powerful antidote to dealing with all the chaos in the world around us. Yeah, it's, and it's so desperately needed at these times. So I'm really excited to hear your synopsis and summary of the medley of these techniques that you've combined to form this anti stress strategy that improves our resilience to insulate ourselves from these continuous challenges. So before you go deep into them, uh, is there a link or have you created a document that summarizes this so that you can go, go to them for more details? Yeah, if you want to know about the research, just go to research.eftuniverse.com. That's where all the research on tapping is. If you want to download a free eco-meditation track, it's at ecomeditation.com. It's E-C-O, meditation.com. You can go there and download a free track. And well, it's that, but the eco-meditation is only one component. You're talking about the tapping, the eco-meditation, and the two or three other uh, tools that you're integrating in one session. Yeah, eco-meditation combines all of those into... Uh, oh, eco that's eco-meditation. That includes all of them? Yes. Okay, I'm, I'm, my confusion, I thought that the... I'm sorry about that because it's been a while since I reviewed it. I didn't realize it. I just thought that was referring to the meditation component. So why don't you walk us through that then? Yeah, so what you do with eco-meditation is you start by tapping. And tapping, again, EFT, motion freedom techniques, is tapping with your fingertips on a series of 12 acupuncture meridian endpoints and research again over 100 clinical trials have shown that it regulates the body it down regulates your stress it improves your your mood it decreases anxiety and depression very very quickly we use that to treat those 21,000 plus veterans in the veteran stress project and the research shows that symptoms of trauma hypervigilance uh intrusive negative thoughts um depression, all of these things are, are regulated by tapping. So you tap first, you then use heart coherence breathing, which is just okay, this way of breathing. The breathing what, what, is the, what is the language that you, or the, the statement that you're saying to yourself during the tapping session? Is there a statement? Because it typically is an EFT. Uh, yeah, with, with, ta with tapping, you usually focus on a target problem. So the target problem might be I'm afraid of, of catching the virus. It might be, I'm afraid of dying. It might be, uh, how will I cope? I've lost my job. So yeah. you focus on, on a problem. But with eco-meditation, we have you just tap generally. And we, we know that just general tapping produces an effect. If you're having a treatment session from a practitioner, then you, like, like we just made it available a platform called tappingplace.com where anybody can go 24-7 and tap with a practitioner. So you just go there to tapping place. You can just tap with somebody right then and there. But that's a treatment session. It's like 30 minutes long or an hour long. You're working on a problem. With eco-meditation, you just tap generally initially, which does basic regulation of your energy system. So you then do the hard coherent breathing. No, sta no statements. No statements. But right. you, you could, I mean, if you're familiar with EFT, couldn't you integrate? Like, So even though I don't have a job and I'm afraid I'm going to go bankrupt or home, be homeless and not put food on the table, I still love and accept myself. Would that be appropriate or you just, you just want to keep it general? With eco-meditation, you stay general. With okay. working on a problem, you want to really focus on that problem because you want to really light up your brain's limbic system, especially the 
neural bundles that are carrying the signals of stress. So what we find, for example, in, in veterans who are remembering a, a war trauma, that there are certain neural bundles that light up when they remember that particular event. Uh, people who are dealing with, with food cravings, again, particular neural bundles light up. So with EFT, we really got, want to get those neural bundles lit up. We find in MRI studies that those emotional parts of the brain then are highly active. When you tap, they just calm down. It's just amazing how quickly those neural uh, bundles depotentiate. So for treatment, you want to make sure you do actually use that kind of specific focus on an event or a problem in your life. But for free meditation, just tap to get you into the spacely calm state. Then you do the heart coherence breathing, you do some, you do, do some my neurofeedback techniques, and the combination of the breathing, the relaxation, puts you in this, this state really quickly, and you don't, don't have to still your mind, you don't have to believe any any kind of you know, metaphysical structure, you're just doing these mechanical techniques like the breathing, the muscular relaxation, and then you enter this really calm state, and you start to feel super happy. Most people Produce a, produces a, a big improvement in their mood. You stay there for a while, you feel compassion for yourself, feel compassion for other people, and compassion is really, really important. We're finding in research now that there are several things which move the needle in terms of neural plasticity in the brain quicker than others. So I, I'm really digging into this in my new research. It's like, there are all these styles of meditation, but which produces the most neural plasticity in the brain the quickest? And so you want to do those, those things. And number one is compassion. Research shows that compassion meditation is what is going to trigger the quickest neuroplasticity more than many other things you can do. So we get, get people in this compassionate state. And then they start to feel really centered, really resilient, really happy, keep them there for a while. In fact, the problem we have at the end of a meditation, Joe, is they're so out there because their brains are now flooded by serotonin, don't mean these motivational and satisfaction neurochemicals, anandamide, the bliss molecules called anandamide, because anand is a Sanskrit word for bliss, and your brain's level of anandamide rises. Now you're having oxytocin, anandamide, serotonin, dopamine, several of the neurochemicals flood your, your body and brain. You're feeling super good. So the problem we have at the end of the meditation now is people, they're so spaced out on anandamide and serotonin and dopamine, we have to bring them down. So the last part of the meditation is just opening your eyes, looking around you, feeling the weight of your body in the chair, noticing the time of day it is, looking at the clock, really anchoring you back in the here and now. We don't want people to bliss out and then just be in that state and then not be able to really bring it back down to the immediate issues of their lives. We want to have them experience that mystical state, but then come back and be effective in their daily lives. So uh, it's interesting. I'm wondering uh, if you have them direct who, where the compassion is directed towards themselves, towards others, both of them. Is it specific? Joe, that is a two-edged sword because a lot of our, the people in our, our, our studies, for example, they have PTSD. And if you say to them, like my earliest instructions were, just have compassion on somebody else, else in your life you love. The trouble with that is maybe the person you love is also your abuser. Maybe the person you love, it's a mixed bag. It's often somebody who's also a source of injury to you or lost to you. Maybe it's somebody you love and they've died. So um, what we have people do now usually is find a person who makes you feel unconditionally loved. That might be a saint, it might be a historical figure, it might be a childhood hero. So we're trying to avoid triggering trauma in people and saying somebody you love can easily actually be a traumatic cue, not a happy one for people. So we have them focus on somebody that makes them feel unconditionally loved. And that might be Mother Mary, it might be Mother Teresa, uh, might be a, some other great figure from their childhood. We have them fo focus on, on that and then feel that compassion flowing with that person and then expand that compassion to everything and everyone. Now, again, that can be a very dangerous ground. Everything and everyone might be the boy who broke my arm in second grade. 
when he was bullying me, that person saying extend compassion to everyone might mean that sniper who, like we had one Vietnam veteran whose best friend was killed by a sniper's bullet in 1970. And, you know, you got to ask that guy to extend compassion to the sniper. That is not going to put you in a state of connection with the all that is. So we say, the instructions say, just extend compassion to every atom in the universe. And that's the very general uh, conceptual framework we use to keep people out of trauma. We've had to really refine this thing over the years because a lot of people are traumatized and are getting traumatized now. And it's very easy to trigger trauma. And if you do it in that deep state, that altered state, it can be harmful to them and produce what's called re-traumatization. So the instructions for, for eco meditation are very carefully calibrated to avoid the possibility of re-traumatization, which of course is the opposite of resilience, which we're trying to produce. So I'm a bit surprised that compassion was the uh, primary uh, emotional response that was found to be useful. Uh, on the just right of your ear, there's another uh, feeling, which is gratitude. I would have thought that might have been more powerful. So do you ever integrate that into it? And maybe you can compare the effectiveness of <laughs> gratitude. I love you picked up on that because... I, I find using the two in, in conjunction personally is my favorite trigger. Uh, there are flow triggers. There are many of them. And you, want to, uh, you, you can approach flow, getting into flow, either from meditation or from performance, high performance pursuit and flow and meditation pursuit and flow. And personally for me, gratitude and compassion go together. So when I'm in that deep meditative state, I'm feeling both compassion which is a response to the suffering of the world and just a sense of, of, of acceptance of people in the world as they are, but also gratitude for your body, for your breath. And so you start to feel this flood of emotional intensity. Uh, besides compassion, one of the other, so this is, this is empirical. I'm not saying this because I, I think it's a good idea. I'm saying this is what the neuroscience shows us. Mm -hmm. I'm working on a new book now on this. And um, I asked myself, what is the empirical science showing us about what produces the quickest neural plasticity in the brain. And so there's a lot of mythology in, in meditation. People say, well, it's this style of meditation, or this style of meditation. I'm looking at the neuroscience and I'm saying, what does the neuroscience tell us produces the quickest useful neural repatterning of the brain? What is compassion? And that is one of those, those triggers that produces flow. But a second one is emotional intensity. You need to feel emotional intensity behind that. Sitting there in this sort of abstract headspace doesn't do it in meditation. You have to feel strongly. You have to feel your passion flowing. And for me, that's gratitude. I feel gratitude. I feel just this amazing emotional intensity. And then, of course, you're feeling all of those neurochemicals as well. So it's not just the emotion of, of of this, you're feeling that serotonin in your brain, you're feeling that dopamine in your brain, you're feeling that anandamide in your brain. Anandamide has the same chemical composition as THC, which is the active ingredient in marijuana. So the receptors in your brain synapses that dock with anandamide are the same ones that dock with THC. The only reason THC works to make give you a high is that it has the same chemical structure as anandamide. So now you're getting this flood of anandamide in your brain naturally by meditating, and it's docking with all those THC receptors in your brain, as well as all the dopamine receptors, and also the serotonin receptors are the same receptors active in psilocybin. Psilocybin, magic mushrooms works because it's basically synthetic serotonin and things like cocaine. Anything, anything we crave is to do with the dopaminic dopaminic reward system in our brains. It's dopamine. So we're getting these floods of oxytocin, the bonding hormone, these floods of anandamide, of serotonin and dopamine. That's why after this meditation, we have to talk people down because they're so, they're so blissful. That, that's why it's so addictive to meditate this way. So that's what's going on in terms of the ecstasy described by the mystics. You feel that good. It's not just a psychological or spiritual event. It's a biological event in your body, and it feels seriously good to enter that space every day. Good. I'm wondering, I was a bit surprised, too, on the, your ref mentioning that the MRIs can document the neuroplasticity. 
And that was surprising to me. I'm wondering what you see. I, I would have thought that would have only been seen to more of a functional test, like a PET scan. So are you seeing more white matter? And you know, how long does it see to note, note these changes? Uh, what typically you'll see happen is MRIs are measuring the consumption of uh, nutrients, oxygen, blood, blood flow to different parts of the brain. And so initially, this is a state. So initially, you feel good, you feel better as a state. And the way the MRI picks it up is on a scale. And the scale goes from neutral to heightened activity to lowered activity. And so you look at this in terms of state, particularly in an MRI, and you then see that in terms of a state, that certain parts of the brain have a lower consumption of oxygen and blood than others. And that shows up in most of the software that processes the MRI, shows up as blue. So it goes to light blue and then to dark blue as activity in that brain decreases in that state. If brain activity is increasing, then you'll see yellow, orange, and red. And so it's kind of like a heat map with uh, a decrease in brain activity is, is showing up as varying shades of blue, an increase as varying shades of red. And what we've seen in, in, in long-term meditators typically is they meditate, and then what happens is that that mid-prefrontal cortex goes from being normal to blue and often to deep blue, while structures like we just finished a trial of eco-meditation, uh, randomized controlled trial in, in MRIs, and that those, uh, those certain brain structures actually then go into red. And that's the insula. The insula is a, is a seat of compassion. The insula is a seat of pro-social emotions. And so as the mid-prefrontal cortex goes dark, the insula, the compassion part of the brain, gets light. So that's this temporary state people are in when they're feeling better during this deep meditation. What happens over time is that the, these parts of the brain start to shift into this, into this, this function as the neuro, neurological wiring changes, and then it becomes a trait. So over time, people close their eyes and they're just there right away. And the MRI picks that up over time. So you can pick up uh, transient states on the MRI, but people who are adepts, they will go to those states immediately because they've shifted into traits. And then you can measure things like the volume of neural tissue. So uh, in chapter two of Mind to Matter, I have the case history of a, a single man his name is Graham Phillips, and they measured the volume using a high-density MRI to see the volume of neural tissue in parts of his brain. And in only eight weeks of mindfulness meditation, his brain volume changed substantially by three or 4% in some brain structures. And in the part of the brain that regulates emotion across the brain, it's part of the hippocampus called the dentate gyrus, his dentate gyrus in only eight weeks, Joe, grew by... 22.8% as measured by a, a, high, a high, high intensity MRI scan. So they're picking up substantial anatomical changes in, in the brain as these feel good states become permanent. Well, well, let me go into more details because most of the MRIs I'm familiar with are really strictly devoted to defining anatomy and they're black and white and shades of gray and they don't have these colors you reference. So does this require special software or special MRI scan to get these physiological correlations and document that? Because you know, I, I just don't ever recall seeing a colored MRI. Yeah, and that's all done by taking the data and then interpreting it very, with various uh, software packages. So yeah, it's, it's, that color is all yeah, done need, as a way of- you need a special MRI, MRI scanner or facility to do that? Yes, this is a special high-resolution MRI. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for that clarification. And I guess uh, one of the final questions or observations or assumptions I might have, as you referenced earlier, the uh, transfer effect when you are having these healthy, feel-good uh, emotions that spread to your neighbors and your neighbor's neighbors. But it would seem to me that perhaps one of the most important uh, people to share that with was the person you're living with, your, your spouse or your significant other or your children or your parents, because that's the person who's going to be, if you improve their state, they're, they're going to get that positive feedback given to you. So, and it just seems it would be a more powerful way to cycle and really uh, limit 
the damage that you would typically anticipate from activation of your reptilian brain when you're exposed to this continuous prop propaganda fear-based messages that we're receiving from the media. And that cuts both ways. And the dark side of that is that we've seen a spike in domestic violence cases as people are confined now with their spouses. Uh, are, their relationships are fraying and, and there's all this, this increase in people having negative emotion. When my wife and I first heard about the order, it was March 17th here in California, uh, we, we talked about this. We realized we would be together a lot, a lot more than usual. And so I wrote a blog post called Sheltering in Love. We said, we're going to use this as a crucible to really be nice to each other. And we were not nice to each other before, but we said that we know we'll have tension here. We're going to use this as a way to shelter in love, get to know each other. So I thought, well, I'm going to learn things about my wife that even after 10 years of marriage, I didn't know before. I began to learn things about her. I began to be fascinated by her. So we took it as a way of strengthening your, your relationship. And families, as we know from now, from almost a century of research, starting with Gregory Bateson in the 1930s and 40s, families are systems. And when you change one element of a system, you change the whole system. So if you decide, for example, to meditate, and then you're going to meditate enough to really set yourself every day, you're just a much nicer person as a result, and you're nicer to your family members, and then that propagates throughout the whole family system. That's also why in a marriage, in a family, not everyone has to change. People think that, oh, my husband has to, has to change, my wife has to change, my kid has to change, my parent has to change. And actually, for one thing, you may think they have to change, but your chances of getting them to change are approximately zero. So the only person you have leverage over is yourself. Marcus Aurelius, the great Stoic philosopher, Roman emperor, 2,000 years ago said this over and over and over again. He said, I can't change the opinions of others. The person I have leverage to change in myself is myself. But we know again through that new science of emotional contagion that your emotions are contagious. They will be affecting those around you and then you can be sheltering in love. So make that choice to work on yourself, to find your negative emotion, to release it, to be this, 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 this agent of positive emotional contagion all around you. And soon you'll find it spreads far beyond you, far beyond you geographically to the people in the house that you're in. And like I went to the grocery store yesterday, Joe, I had to pick up some groceries. And I said to the clerk, and this is a grocery store my, my wife actually doesn't, doesn't like, but I, I just love the people there. I said to her, I so love coming into the store and just interacting with people here. It just makes me joyful to interact with the people here. Then she smiled, big smile. She just smiled, a smile, and, 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 and smiled to the guy in the face mask. And he had like a, a plastic covering over his face to the guy next to him. And here we can just choose in the simplest of our social interactions to be agents of positive emotional contagion. We can, affect we can affect hundreds of people in a day of doing that. And that's the choice we have when we decide to solve our own emotional problems, solve our own anger and resentment, let go of it, and be those agents of positive emotional contagion. Yeah, it's, it's a really good strategy. I would uh, strongly recommend that because uh, it's a powerful approach to addressing this there's no question and i thank you for sharing that so so any other tips you have for us be proactive be proactive do the things it'll take to shift your mood and again we're shifting psychology and when we shift psychology we shift biology people don't realize how dependent their biology is on that, their psychology. So for example, in that weekend study, anxiety went down by 26%. Depression went down by 32%. PTSD symptoms just went down by 18%. And this is, the, this is the PubMed study I sent you a link to. Pain went down 43%. All of these are psychological shifts people may, are making as they tap and meditate. But that's when their average resting cortisol went down significantly by 29%, the resting heart rate went down by 5%, and their immunoglobulins went up by 27%. So these are your leverage points, and you can decide proactively to meditate, to tap, 
and to release all that negative emotion you have. Fill your mind with positive thoughts. And I'm not saying don't read anything negative. You, you can't avoid it. You need to be well informed, but be informed and see it through the lens of that positive being. Tune into non-local mind every day. That's something you can choose to do. Eco-meditation is about 15, 20 minutes long. It doesn't take long. And you're then making a powerful declaration that I am choosing to be that agent of positive emotional contagion. Do that, it then affects your whole day. You then enter your day after that morning meditation as a resourceful person, a resilient person. Are there still problems, financial problems, medical problems? Sure, there might be all those problems you still face, health problems, family problems, but now you are a resilient person that is facing those problems and bringing, again, five times the problem-solving ability into that situation. So you are far more able to affect the world and do those things that are proactive. In Mind to Matter, I have 30 different practices you can, you can use. Yoga, Qigong, Tai Chi, time in nature, grounding, earthing, all of these things. Pick the ones that fit your lifestyle and love yourself enough to do that. Make a practice of doing them. Be that proactive person. And then you'll find your whole life starts to change. And you're, you know, one of the problems that I, I meditators have, Joe, I've talked to several meditation masters over the last few months. And it's like, we really have to calibrate ourselves when we meet other people, because we, we meet other people and they're not here. They're not full of love, joy, and laughter. They're full of anguish, stress, and doubt. And so be, be highly um, uncompassionate to walk out there and start the day with a smile on your face. Instead, you listen to people, you hear their grief and pain and sorrow, sorrow and loss. And then by the end of the time with them, they've been affected by your positive emotional contagion. And we then can change the emotional tone of our whole world. Because one of the cool things about those studies show, it shows that positive emotions travel out to affect those around you so do negative ones, but negative ones only affect people two degrees of separation out. Positive ones affect people three degrees of separation out. And so we're actually more effective as agents of emotional contagion if we're positive than negative. So go out there and meet people where they are, listen to them if, they, if they're suffering, but then bring the power of that wisdom and joy and beauty and and all the all those benefits of non-local mind bring them into your local world and be that powerful change agent by having made the choice to meditate to tap to be in nature to ground yourself to support yourself metabolically as you were mentioning earlier supplement as you need to keep exercising do those things to love your mind and body but then be that vibrant person who can then just help the people around them shift and it's needed now more than ever before with all the suffering in the world. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And uh, I think it's a terrific resource and I want to congratulate you for compiling it. And, you know, personally, my view is uh, that of an inverse paranoid that life is always going <laughs> to you snow. And that's W. Clement Stone who's popularized that, you know, a disciple protege of Napoleon Hill. Yeah. Uh, but um, so I didn't make this up, but, I, but it's, I've been following this for decades and it's been so useful. So the, the summary is basically circumstances are going to come your way that uh, ostensibly and superficially appear not good, which is we've gotten in spades in the last few months. But it's not necessarily true. It's just your perception of those. And if you can remain objective and use the tools that you're describing, you can make that shift from negative to positive energy. So it's so powerful and it's so, and so crucial. Just understand that it's that, that this are not necessarily bad. For me personally, the COVID-19 pandemic has probably been one of the best things that's ever happened to me. I have never been healthier, I think, in my life as a result of this forced discipline, stay at home and just pursue these things. So and but and I've got access to the tools that are using. So these tools work and. So I, I really want to thank you for compiling them, doing all com committed research and an effort to uh, put this, this toolbox together. So you've described them really well. And can you just mention one more time where uh, they're available? Obviously, your book, Mind to Matter, is, is probably the best resource. And, you know, books are such a great investment. I mean, literally, for the price of uh, one or two cups of coffee, 
you can get wisdom that's taken years, if not longer, to compile, or at least that long to write, and maybe decades of wisdom to compile in a, in, a, in a book. I mean, it's one of the best investments you can make. So I'm a, a great believer in that. So Mind to Matter would be the best, but if you want to go to your website, why don't you just mention that one again? Yeah, so mindmatter.com is where you can get Mind to Matter. And if you've read the book, loved it, leave me a review, please. So mindmatter.com is a good place. If you want to tap with a practitioner live, go to tappingplace.com. And then my main website with all the meditations, all the free meditations, and all the free tapping resources is just EFTUniverse.com. And if you go there, um, you'll find, you just navigate through the site, just grab the free meditation, grab the free tapping manual, all of that stuff is available to you to you there and I'd, I'd love to have you visit and just just doing that you know just go, going and getting a tapping session a tapping place your first session is free there um doing that reading mind to matter going to get the universe is a powerful declaration of that that wonderful phrase you use pronoia not paranoia pronoia i'm just gonna see everything working together despite where we are now so yeah, yeah. that's another term for it. universe paranoia or pronoia that's correct yeah i forget i forget that sometimes but yeah, yeah. It's, it works it totally works but it works even better if you've got this powerful tool chest that you just described so i like the fact that that first session is free uh so basically it's risk-free and you know i i i'm such a firm believer in tapping i i found out about it over two decades ago and really am, I believe, largely responsible for, for promoting EFT. That's, you know, Gary developed it, but, you know, it had to need to have a lot of attention. I did a lot of that work. And I'm so glad because it is one of the best tools I ever encountered in my medical practice. Just, it, it literally is nothing short of magical. But, you know, this, there's other tools. It's not the only one. And you integrate that with you know, once you describe it's just brilliant. So thanks for everything you've done, and uh, hopefully people will find this useful. Bless you, my friend. Thanks for everything you uh, keep on doing with such passion, such heart, and such solid information. I love be reading your newsletter every week. And I feel as though you've done a huge service to people now for the last 20 years with that. So my no, immense gratitude to you for that. Well, thank you. I like that. <laughs> yeah, there were, yeah, like there, there we go. Uh, yeah, our big big campaign now is this vitamin D. I mean, we really hope to make a dent. That may be one of the most important projects they've ever participated in is to inspire the country to get on board with this so we can prevent loads of deaths. Because the thing is, is if we, you know, it's like putting your foot in the door because what, if you can get them to take vitamin D and optimize the levels, 90% are deficient, then not only do they increase their resistance to COVID, but also lower their risk for heart disease and cancer and diabetes and all these other metabolic complications. So it's just a crazy win-win. But anyway, thank you so much and uh, we'll get the word out. Thank you.